Welcome to the Heart of Dad podcast. Heart of Dad is a podcast for entrepreneurs who are passionate about their families and business and looking to find more clarity, more balance and more alignment in all areas of their life. Come and join the community at heartofdad.com or on Facebook at groups forward slash heartofdad. This week on Half of Dad, I'm interviewing Piers Thurston. Piers is the founder of Quality of Mind, a pioneering way to enable exponential human potential. Piers has been a coach for 20 years and works with businesses and private clients. Piers is a dad to two children. So this week on Heart of Dad, I'm delighted to introduce Piers Thurston. Hi, Piers. Hi, Matt. Pleasure to be here. It's great to have you here, Piers. So tell us a little bit about yourself, if you will. Yes. So um, a little bit about myself. So I'm 46 years old. Um, I am a dad of two, uh, a little boy who's nine and a little girl who is 11. Um, I co-parent with with my ex-wife. So I've got uh, divorced, separated about five years ago now. Um, And business-wise, I've been a coach for 20 years now. Um, 10 of which have been from the understanding, uh, sort of the foundational understanding that's often known as inside out or three principles or non-dual, uh, how you describe it. Um, I mainly work with organizations uh, and business leaders. That's probably about 70% of my work uh, and about 30% is private client. But in, in my 20 years, I've worked with a rich variety of uh, people, teams, nationalities and types. So, um, and I feel incredibly grateful that I've stumbled into that vocation. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? I mean, I'm curious. I haven't met too many coaches who are as young as you and who've had 20 years in the game. So that's pretty amazing in itself. Yeah, I, I started quite young. Um, so, yeah, so I, I read um, law at university. Um, I kind of wanted to read psychology, but then when I read what psychology was, it looked really dull. Um, so I did law because it was less hours. Um, but I've, uh, but I realized I wasn't going to be a lawyer because my fascination for people, which I've had since a young age, has sort of always been there. Um, and I went instead into, back when I left uh, university, into uh, marketing um, for FMCG. Uh, again, branding. I loved people, understanding consumers. Um, and then I got a bit jaded by that because it was a lot of the branding and innovation work I was doing was not really it wasn't that cutting edge and the organizations were quite risk averse. Um, and at the same time, I got really fascinated by two things that were just sort of coming into my awareness in the UK, this sort of late nineties. Um, one was coaching and one was NLP, um, neurolinguistic programming. Um, and I thought, wow, you know, so mid late twenties, I'm going to be one of them. So uh, I sort of retrained uh, as much as you could back then to be a coach. Uh, I remember I was on the first page of, uh, of Google for Life Coach because there's no one else doing it. Um, Life Coach London. And uh, yeah, I, I set myself up as a coach and um, went for it, really. Uh, I mean, the, back then it wasn't even an industry, let alone a profession. Um, and uh, I... I just absolutely loved it. I, I couldn't believe it was a job, you know, compared to my mates who are lawyers. I was like, wow, you know, this is what I do. I didn't earn as much money as them initially, but you know. <laughs> um, and then when I came across the sort of principles about uh, eight, nine years later, it, it shifted everything for me again. But 
I guess, still in the same sphere of, of working with people, whether that be teams, individuals or, or whatever. And what was the context of coming into the, the different way of working with the three principles? How did that arrive? Well, I'd known Michael Neal since 2003 because he'd been one of the NLP trainers that worked along Richard Bandler and uh, other people like that. So, and I followed Michael because he's such a lovely guy and he kind of got into the principles and then because I followed him, uh, I got into them and then once the penny dropped properly, which did take a while, it was a bit of a slow learn, um, about 2011 or whatever, I was like, oh, wow. And it changed everything from then on. Um, and then I've really spent the last nine years trying to work out how to talk about them better and deepening my own grounding as we go. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, I'm sure that will be uh, very familiar yeah, to yeah. Any, anybody who's listening who's is in that sphere. Yeah. And when we chatted before the uh, podcast, uh, gosh, it must be a good six weeks ago now, um, and we talked about this in the context of you divorcing. And um, you know, I wonder if you wouldn't mind sort of talking us through like how um, your understanding of, the, the principles between behind our experience helped you through, you know, what for many people it could be quite a traumatic moment in their life. Well, well, yes. And I think, um, it, 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 it came out, you know, it wasn't something I was looking to do, get divorced. It wasn't sort of, um, on the cards really. Um, so it did come as a bit of a surprise to me that that's what my, um, ex-wife wanted to do. Uh, and it took it back, you know, it, it, it's not something you really want to hear. Um, that the person you've, who's, you know, you spent this time with and you're married to and you love and has your children with doesn't want to be with you anymore. So y- you have all this thinking popping up as to what's going on, why, about the kids, about this, the money, the, the, everything, you know. And I think what the understanding of the mind helps you do is to realize what that's made of. So it, whereas a lot of it, feels very well it's all real but it's not true you know the stories that you're creating about what's going on and what's going to happen to you in the future and why it's happened that's real for you but it's not true so the more you can see that the more you can just be in the experience of feeling whatever you feel about that and there'll be ebbs and flows to it of course um but it doesn't sort of stick uh it doesn't weigh you down in 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 the way that it might have done before and i think Actually, for me, it was really fascinating because, as I say, I got into this understanding about 2008, 2009, 2010, whenever it was. And I was lucky, you know, in the sort of five years that followed that, nothing terribly had happened to me. I hadn't had a big thing go on in my life. So I'd never really, it's not that you test these principles because (laughs) they are what they are, but I'd never had anything go on. And there's a little bit me going, wow, I'm now getting to experience that they, truly are what they are because even when things have happened for me that is is, is quite one might call substantial i'm still being able to uh keep my resilience and 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 my quality of mind is reasonable and you know i'm I'm not falling down the hill too far so it was a lovely way of um real time seeing experience in a more exaggerated way which you can do sometimes um, and actually can relate more to some of what my clients might be saying sometimes because I'd, I'd had a fairly, you know, calm mind before that, I guess, uh, in, in some levels. So it, it was, it was a rich experience to go through that. And, but with the understanding that sort of equipped you to not let it get in the way too much, um, you know, and 
see what it, see, you know, and, and come to sort of clarity fairly quickly uh, as to what was happening and, and the best way forward. Um, and I feel incredibly grateful um, that I had the understanding I did. And I didn't try and, you know, NLP my way through it, which I think it would have been harder work. Yeah, I can imagine. And, and you know, listening to you, you know, obviously I have some understanding of the principles of tubes. I work from that, that space with my own clients. But for somebody who isn't in that space listening to you, um, I think one of the misunderstandings could be is that you, you won't have the full experience of life. You know, because I imagine... Uh, I've not I've not been through divorce, but I've been through breakups, uh, you know, uh, enough in my life uh, to know, you know, about the the pain, the agony, the disappointment, the feelings of loss of a future, the uh, kind of you know some of the things you're touching on on the financial side. You know, there's so many dimensions to um, the end of a relationship, particularly if you have children. And um, I just want to sort of get your sense of that because i think you're not saying that you didn't have those experiences it's just they didn't they didn't kind of rock your boat in the way that maybe they might have done well i think actually i had i think what the understanding gives you is a richer fuller experience of life so if it was a roller coaster it's not like you get a small roller coaster you probably get a bigger one but you know what the roller coaster is made of so i i felt when i had the understanding i i got unshackled to feel more I was probably quite stoic uh, prior and I would use things like NLP to make myself more positive and to actually get rid of the negative. So we used to go on negativity fasts in, in positive psychology and NLP land where you shouldn't have a negative thought. And if so, you do a technique to get rid of it. Um, <laughs> I laugh at now, but so actually you feel more, more connected, more ebb and flow, but it doesn't affect you in the way that it might have done. So it's, it's like, you know, you, you can watch a, an amazing movie, can't you? And you can cry and you can laugh and you can get scared. That's the point of a movie is to feel. Same with the roller coaster is that the point is to feel, right? Now, when you get out of the movie theater and you get off the roller coaster, you're like, whoa, check that out. That was amazing. I paid money for that. It was brilliant. You know, we, we want those things. We're designed to feel. Now, when it comes to real life or what we would call real life, as opposed to movies and roller coasters, we don't want to feel certain things, right? Because we think they're coming from the event, the circumstance, the situation, or from the self. And therefore we kind of go, well, I don't want to feel that there. No, 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 no. That's okay to feel in a movie theater or on a roller coaster, but I don't want to feel that about something that is what appears to be causal from either my own mind or the outside world. And I think what this understanding does is it removes that and you just feel more, but it doesn't bother you as much. So the best analogy, and this is a parenting podcast, is the two-year-old, right? And I'm sure you've heard this a million times before, Matt, or something like this. The two-year-old has no issue feeling all sorts of things, mostly in the middle of a supermarket. Not nowadays, but in the old days. Um, you know, and they don't mind feeling. They'll feel way, but it doesn't bother them. They don't then analyze it, you know, that afternoon going, well, really this morning I was, you know, I was a little bit too exuberant, wasn't I, in my tantrum, right? That they don't care where it came from. They don't care what it is. They just feel. So I actually have a richer feeling of life than I ever did. But the beautiful thing about that is when it's richer in the, what we might call negative sense, it doesn't, you know, it's not damaging anything. You know, it's not a problem. It's just coming through the system. 
Does that? Yeah, know. beautiful, beautiful description of um, kind of an amplification of experience in a sense. You, know, you, you live life in a greater richness or a greater tapestry of uh, nuances and, mm. and depth. Yeah. Yeah, which is the whole point, I think. Mm, beautiful. What, what about the, um, how did you navigate your, your separation and divorce with your children? So I guess that'd have been quite young at that point. Uh, the, the kids were, um, I think five and seven. Is that about right? I'm trying, I'm trying to do the maths now. Yeah. I think it's about five and seven. So, um, my little one, he didn't really get what was going on massively. Uh, my daughter is pretty astute and, and was on it from the first moment, you know, she was like, uh, what's going on here? Um, so, but kids, as we know, are beautifully resilient and, uh, the only thing that I was mindful of was not to uh, to let them have any too many narratives about blame and whose fault it was between me and my ex and you know and, and just to, to keep it very um, neutral in that level because I didn't want any kind of resentment or anything possibly happening there um, so we were very honest with them we'd explain what was going on they kind of got it it soon became a new normal. There was a little bit of, a, you know, adaption to happen, you know, in terms of, you know, where, where they, what nights they slept where. And, but then they got to realise, oh, I have two bedrooms now and I have Christmas in two places and, uh, you know, and they kind of got it. And they then would find the odd friend maybe at school who was like, oh, okay, you're like me then, yeah. Um, so it, I, I, from what I can tell, you'd, I'd, you know, you'd have to interview them. Um, that they didn't if the question is how does it affect them N not really you know um obviously i i had some thinking that the piece of thinking that was the last to dissolve for me um out of all of them actually which, which probably took a couple of months or three or four months or a bit more maybe to dissolve was the bit that didn't look just real and not true but looked real and true was how can i be the dad i want to be when I don't live in the same house as my children all the time. I, I was like, that's not mind, that's postcode, right? That, that, that's not, that's not, I can't, how, how do I, because, you know, the whole point of being a dad or being a parent is to be there for your children in proximity and to have a unique relationship with them. And if they're some of the week in a different house, with a, with a, with a, they now have a stepdad, you know, that, what's the space for me in that, you know, to do, and, and that, it, that took a little bit longer for me to see was made up. Um, I, I, that's a bit that I probably struggled with for a little bit longer than the other bits. So, so when that fell away, you know, what, what changed, if anything, uh, in your relationship with, with your children and, and that idea you had of being a dad? Um, Well I, well, I realized that my narrative wasn't accurate. And of course, I could be a good dad. It just became to quality, not quantity. So when I have the kids now, I attempt, I try, and I put those words in big italics, uh, bold. I attempt and try to be with them present rather than working and doing all that. You know, of course, I still am because, you know, life goes on but but so, so they have a quality relationship with me they have less quantity than they used to um but i but you know let's say 
there are many, many parents who I know would say, well, yeah, I live in the same house as my kids, but I don't feel connected to them. So it's about connection, not proximity. And actually, you know, given that we're recording this in the middle of a pandemic, we're all in lockdown, that connection has nothing to do with proximity, right? But I, I suppose my, my hang up about it initially was more egoic about, but I'm their dad. What do you mean I'm not going to see them? You know, and I, I, I'll tell you one little thing that I remember, a little thing that just hit me at the time was um, I, I went to the kids' school to pick them up. I didn't know I was coming. I was just like surprised them. And I checked my ex, like, oh, I'll go and pick the kids up. She said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And little Max comes running out. I think he was about six or something. And he had a picture in his hand he'd been drawing. I said, oh, buddy, what? you know, they show you the picture. What's the picture? And, and he showed me a picture of the household. And it was him uh, and his sister, Abby, and uh, their mum and their mum's new partner. And he then looked at me and went, oh, daddy, there's no room for you in here. Right. And my heart went, Poof. right, you know, kind of like fell through the floor. <laughs> There's no room for you here. I was like, oh my God, that's iconic. You know, <laughs> so for about 30 seconds, I was like, no. But then I just thought, actually, isn't it beautiful? He's drawn that as, 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 as something that represents. And, and, you know, that, there's love in that picture. I'm, I'm not happen to be in it, but that's okay. He's in a place where he feels secure and love. And then he looked at me and he said, oh, daddy, if I'd known you were coming, I would have put you in it. Right. And I was like, no, Max, no, it's not about that. Right. And because I think maybe he felt like that 30 seconds of my heart drop, even though I just kept a smiley face, you know, maybe. And I just thought, it's not about me, this. This is not. So my, my takeaway from that was, this is not about my ego needing to be in the picture, needing to be the dad. Right. I need to get over that, not get over it in a, in a, in a psychological way, but I just need to see that for what it is. And then I'll be the best dad I can. This, this, and I think that was very telling for me when I realized that I was egoically attached to being their dad as well as just wanting to be someone that loved them as a parent. Did, does that make sense, the distinction? Yeah, yeah, very much so. And um, I mean, what I hear in that is like, there's a, when you strip away, you're thinking about, you know, your identity as a dad, then it was much easier to fall back into that loving connection. And e Exactly. And actually, you know, there isn't, there isn't a, uh, love is not a scarcity. So it's not like my kids haven't got enough to go around, right? Or I haven't got enough to go around. I mean, sometimes it feels like that, definitely. <laughs> so I realize I'm not always in that space, but um, it, it, it's about not being egoically attached to what your role as dad is, I think. And, and my role now is different to being there dad that's always around it's a hugely important role um and but it's different that's all it's not better or worse or anything and you you just touched on something that i think many dads would also resonate with is like you know that there's this idea of perfection and then there's the reality and you know how, how do things play out when it's difficult when you find it difficult either because of work pressure or your own whatever's going on in your own life to to not be that dad that you would like to be so to speak yeah yeah so yeah we'll have plenty of, plenty of practice which is good um <laughs> so it, <laughs> it comes to me when it can appear to me i have a narrative that says i'm not i'm great one-on-one -on -one, 
but w w where I'm less present with them or less connected is when they're both yabbing in my ear, right? Fighting for attention, right? And, and, and they're siblings of an age that do that regardless when they're in the room, but you know, often because maybe they haven't seen me for a while or not a few days or whatever. And it's like, daddy, blah, 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 you know, and it's like, everyone's talking. I'm like, I think the sentence probably comes most out of my mouth is one at a time and wait. So they're the two sentences that come in my mouth, like one at a time and wait. So I, I like to be present when I talk to them so I can be present, not kind of just fob them off, although I do my share of that. And when they're both having a go, I find it difficult. It's like air traffic control. I go, well, you, can I come to you in a minute? I'm just dealing with this one, right? Now, I've only got two kids. I haven't got like four or something, but, it, but what, you know, what, what I try to do is create a little bit of time with them one-on-one -on -one where the other one's doing something else um, so that I can... You know, and, and be better at multitasking, of course. But, um, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm not a great cook. Sometimes I'm cooking and they're talking to me. I go, I'm trying to cook a spag bowl here. I know it's not complicated, but for me, I need to concentrate what I put in here, what or not. And they're talking, 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 talking. Um, so that's, I, I, I struggle a bit with that. So your question was, how do I deal with that? Well, I sometimes get judgmental on myself. Um, I sometimes shout at my kids. Um, and I think the, the one thing that helps me is to know that like every other human being on this system in this system they have an innate resilience and okayness now that doesn't condone me to abuse my children by the way right but if but if i if i'm narky with them if i'm short-tempered with them i explain when i when i'm not okay yeah daddy was just having a little little whatever yeah so like we all do like you do i do too so i know they're undamageable by me too at one level now, again, that doesn't mean I just be a bad dad all the time because common sense means you don't. But I think what stops my judgment going too far is knowing that I'm not damaging anything. Mm. I love that insight. And you know, one of the things I've been exploring with other dads, and it's been, I've had very different conversations about it depending on you know, where they're at and what their understanding is, is around guilt. And you know, some of the people who've come from the three principles community have just said, well, I see what guilt is. It, it doesn't trouble me because it's just, you know, a reflection of my thinking in the moment. It's not a helpful feeling in terms of driving my behavior. But I heard something, you know, use the word judgment. And I wonder if does, does it ever tip into that feeling of guilt for you about, you know, when, when, so certainly for me, when I lose it with my son, which I do obviously <laughs> from, from time to time, um, I don't, I don't dwell a long time in guilt, but I, that, that, I suppose my first impulse is to move into that space of, ooh, right, that wasn't great. I wasn't a great dad at that moment. Um, yeah, I don't, I, it's, 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 it's a lot about labels, this, but I don't know my judgment goes into guilt. Uh, I, I don't even know what guilt is, really. Where, where does the line between judgment and guilt? But I suppose if guilt's a longer form of judgment, a longer a longevity <laughs> to it, um, <laughs> um, it's more temporary because I think w when I restore to my balance, I ask myself, am I doing a good job as a dad? And I'm like, well, I'm doing the best I can. Um, if I then ask myself, is that good enough? I'm like, well, if it isn't, I don't know what else to do because if, if, there's, if there's a way I'm going to be a better dad, that won't come from me feeling guilty or, or giving myself a hard time. It, it will never come from there. It might temporarily I might be able to have one day when I never shout at my kids because I'm using willpower and discipline, but that's not a long-term strategy, right? So it, the, the way I'm going to be a better dad, whatever I need to be, will be through realization. 
So buying into any guilt as a behavior modifier is never going to work. So I think when I settle back to balance, that's what I see. Um, now I am, there may be a nuance here because that doesn't mean I stick my head in the sand and never listen to feedback from myself or the world. Um, I try as much as I can to, you know, because our kids are telling us all the time what we're up to, right? No, we don't always listen because we're busy in our minds, but we, we kind of, if we tune in, we know what they need, right? So an example of that is, is my daughter would, she can have some anxiety around sleep sometimes. And I've tried, it would appear to me, I've tried different strategies uh, to help her. Uh, and sometimes I get a little bit too uh, egoic about, you know, tough love on it. And sometimes I've held on to that strategy too long before shifting to just be in the moment and see what she needs, right? Rather than go, well, I can't let her, you know, so, so you, you can catch yourself. Um, so that doesn't, what I'm using that as an example of saying where you don't want to stick your head in the sand and go, well, you know, there's never feedback there's always feedback in the feeling there's always feedback in the feeling um so i'm, I'm open to that um, and then that sort of changes things by insight and realization rather than by sort of psychological application of a strategy yeah yeah that's brilliantly said uh, one thing i wanted to explore with you is um you have a successful business you've, you've been a, a, a long-standing coach and you have um your children part of the time. How do you manage the the switch in yourself between kind of the work and children time, or when you either when your children are there, or when you're transitioning from one state to the other? Yeah, well, when I, when I was um, married, I guess it was a little bit easier at one level because I had my office downstairs and I could pop up and have fun with the kids, and then go down and work and it was beautiful you know i'd like you know i got best of both worlds in a way um but but since i since i've been sort of you know on my own when i have the kids um well first of all what i try and do is keep the time i have with them work free now that's not completely possible that but that's the first thing well let's see what i can do to keep that, some of that time sacred um and therefore that, that removes that issue i guess but I, I've never been someone that works nine to five or where I just, you know, for 20 years, I just don't really get nine to five. What, why you'd work nine to five. So um, it's not as easy to do that as, as <laughs> you know, I, I'm not disciplined enough to do that and I wouldn't want to be. Um, so y y I guess you just have to, uh, you know, and actually it's been interesting recently since, you know, I mean, having the kids at home whilst I've been um, virtual schooling, Right. So in theory, you know, between these hours, daddy's going to work and then you're going to work. Well, no, because they keep, I can't do this. The computer's not working. I understand. Right. So you run around like a yo-yo going between trying to do a bit of your work, sorting out child one and then child two. And then by the time you sort child one out, child two, you get down and get your head into your work. And then, you know, so. <laughs> and I, I think, I think the, the, the key to it. And, and this actually you could make pervasive to anything is the frustration comes for me um, is whenever you think you should be doing something else rather than you are. So in, in any moment of human reality, any moment of existence, when 
you're, you have a narrative saying that what you should be doing is different to what you are doing. So there's something that's happening. You know, as, as humans, there's something happening. Full stop. Then we have our narrative on what could or should be happening. So if I'm working and the kids are wanting my attention and I'm creating a disconnect between, well, I, they should be doing their thing now, not annoying me, that causes a disconnect. Or vice versa, you know, I'm playing with the kids and the phone rings and it's like a client. I'm like, Ugh. so it, it's, it's the, I think, and this, again, across anything in life, this is meta. Any, there's, there's what's happening and then there's a the narrative about what could or should be happening. If, if that's a disconnect, we are coming out of that moment back into the separate self and creating a, a, a view of what is going on. Right. And we're doing that at, at a, at a bigger level now with COVID, we're going, it shouldn't be like this. Right? We should have blah, 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 blah. So we're always doing this as humans, but I think, you know, the, 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 the thing you described about how do you manage it with your kids? Well, it's just another little version of the same thing. Right? Because if you, if you see that in that moment, I'm doing X and X is what's going on, then you're in flow. If you're doing X and think, well, I should be doing Y or Z, it causes a disconnect and that creates a ickiness. Now the icky feeling is nothing to do with the circumstance. It's to do with your, that's your barometer, your feedback telling you your aperture is contracted and you're trying to challenge, resist what is happening. Does that make any rings. sense? Or does that sound no, totally. No, no. Ring, ring, well, rings completely true for me. And I think there's, yeah. uh, it, for, you know, the metaphor I often use is like, when you, when you swim with the tide of life, it feels so easy. And when you start trying to swim against the tide of life, then it, it's full of effort and struggle. And, and that's really what I heard in, in that show. Yeah. And I think that, if I was to expand on your, your hmm. what you've just said there, Matt, I would say that we create invisible arbitrary lines on what the tide should be up to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And then we go, right, but I should be, you know, X now. And, and we'll then have loads of two things we'll do in our mind to, to disconnect from that. We'll, we'll justify why, well, this is an important call or my kids are important, whichever way you want to go. Right. So we'll justify it with evidence. So you kids should be better at looking after yourselves, you know, or gosh, I need to work hard. Right. And the other one we'll do. So we'll justify it. Another thing we'll do beginning with Jay is we'll judge it. And we'll say, well, I should be better at this or my kids should be better. So, so we'll, we'll put just justification and judgment, which layers up that disconnect with narrative. So true. <laughs> so have you found yourself over the years just kind of having a muscle that's developed to spot that quicker? Is that, is that how it's evolved for you? Or was it more like a, there was an overnight moment of, you know, after your two or three years, you said, you know, when I really got this understanding that I, I saw its impact through my life and the, the, the things shift like um, in that sort of exponentially for you. I, I, I often describe that people with this understanding, they, um, and, and this is not, this is very generalized. It either happens in whoosh or drip drip, right? So drip drip is like you gradually just recalibrate with insights just trickling through. The odd person has a big kind of whoosh, you know, an enlightenment experience or something. And they're the people on the videos often because they're the ones that sound better. Um, but, but most people, I think when they look in this direction, they'll have some big shifts, but it's probably a fairly drip, drip, drip. And there's a, the, the way I describe it rather than a muscle, because that sounds too NLP to me, too neural pathway. Um, 
but that's just my language issue. But it, it's probably more of a recalibration. So you, most of us are kind of walking through life fairly comfortably numb. We're not really tuned into consciousness and, and its ability to shift what we see. Uh, of course, we are at some degree because we're, we're, we're spiritual human beings, but um, or we are whatever we are. But it, it, the recalibration comes when we are more in tune with the ability for flow and for thought to move through the system and for realization to come and dissolve one set of thinking and a new one to emerge. And the system nudges you back in, into equilibrium and, and, and clarity and resilience and creativity more. Uh, and that seems to be, you could call it a spiritual maturity. That could be a recalibration. Um, because it's almost like when you first get into this, you, you can go quite um, disassociated. You, you get kind of almost abstractly enlightened. And then you've got to come back into the world into the world of form again. And I think that recalibration happens um, what would appear like over time. It's, it's, you know, time's obviously a concept, but, but you know what I mean? That, that, that's, that's a re-immersion back into it. Um, so, and that's really interesting to watch that recalibration because it shifts everything. It shifts the needle. It shifts the needle of where your thermostat is, I think. Mm. and it, it does the hard work for you once you do yeah that's happening yeah yeah i love that description and for me what i've seen is like um you use the word aperture i don't know if i'm using it in the right in the same context as you but my experience has been like an opening up more and more widely to the full experience of life and in in, in the early days it was like momentary <laughs> experiences of opening up to the full experience of life then kind of coming back into my story and my ego and who I was and that opening just comes in more and more and, and expands more and more as time goes on. That's what I've, that's what yes, I've exactly. And it's, it's an ebb and flow and it's, it's not like it, it just sort of shifts the ratio from, you know, if it was 90%, 10%, it becomes 60, 40 to, to, to 60, 40 the other way or whatever it is. It's because as we said at the beginning or earlier, the point of, this human experience of consciousness knowing itself is to have this rich experience of everything that what we call the highs and lows, the ebb and flow, the contraction expansion. So in a way we don't want to be totally enlightened that there is such a thing because we, it wouldn't be fun to be what we are. It's about sentience. It's about noticing and not noticing. It's about a full gamut of experience. That's the richness of what it is. And when we're not scared of our experience and we're not putting the causal power to it somewhere where it isn't like to circumstance, the past, the future or outside of us or, or, or to our minds, if you know, our little minds. And when we're seeing which just contraction and aperture to source, it's kind of rich. I wouldn't say it's enjoyable because that's, that's, that's a label, but, it, but it's rich. Mm. It's deep. It's, it's 3D. It's 4D. It's, it's, it's nice, you know. Mm. Thank you for sharing that just want to switch direction a little bit um and um one of the things i've been asking other dads on the podcast is about their relationship with their own dads and and how that's impacted them as parents and i seem to remember when we spoke before there's also 
a bigger picture story about uh, your family and the business and your choices not to take part in that. So I wonder if you yes. would be willing to go into that a little bit. Yeah. Please. So the context is that um, my, uh, I'm sort of, um, my dad is, you know, he's fourth generation of family business. I'm fifth generation and there's been a family business for, for 120, 30, 40, 50 years um, in the West country uh, doing various things in manufacturing and automotive and stuff. And, you know, it's been passed down the generations and, uh, it sort of came to, to my turn. My, I, suddenly, my brother, I had one, one sibling, my brother, who, who passed away in 2004. So um, it then sort of came to me. Um, and and uh, I, I was, my, my dad had always said, don't come into the family business to start with, you know, go and experience life, you know, and, and then come back into the business if you want to sort of thing. Um, but there was a big hoping that I would, I guess. Um, so, so I came in as a, as a non-exec director in 2005 or six, you know, um, having had a bit of commercial experience around. And then I suppose the question came, do I want to actually come into the business full time? Now, I was unfortunately really, really enjoying my work as a coach <laughs> and, and felt incredibly grateful that that's, that was my vocation. If I'd been doing something more boring, then maybe I probably would. But, you know, my dad was incredibly um, understanding and wasn't going to force me, which, you know, that wouldn't have worked. Um, so, so now I'm a non-exec, you know, I, I work a couple of days a month for the family business, um, helping them with things like on the people side, the human side. Um, and so, so I'm, I'm very grateful that, that we have that business. Um, but it wasn't one I wanted to take on um, because I really, really enjoyed my work. Um, but I still have a great relationship with my dad um, and actually probably if, if I was running the business now and he was like, my dad's kind of telling me what to do, I, that would be hard. Um, he's 80 years old now, but he's sharp as anything. So I quite like being a non-exec because I, I, I could get the benefit of it without feeling like him, him telling me off the whole time. If, if that's what he would do, I don't know. <laughs> so it, it, it feels it's worked out really well. Um, now, I don't know whether he thinks that. I think it's quite hard for him to think, well, I mean, actually, and it's also interesting because I, I think, you know, that this sort of line has stopped because it's my fault and he thinks it's stopped because of his fault sort of thing. Um, but that doesn't really matter. So it's, yeah, I, I think, it, was that what you were, we were talking about before? I can't quite remember. Yeah, happened. yeah, there was, it was. And there's a second part to it, which is like his influence for, um, on you as a dad. But I just want to stay a little bit with that story because I think mm. it's, uh, it's one that could be a whole, a whole podcast perhaps for mm. another time. But, uh, you know, just for today, um, you've made it sound really simple, and maybe it is really simple. <laughs> but my my fantasy is it's not it's not no it's it, not simple at all. I'm giving you the succinct version, <laughs> yeah. but, it, but it is that simple at one level. If you boil it down, mm. it's that simple. Mm. It took a bit more to pan out than that, but yeah, yeah. yeah. And 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 he has been uh, and is an amazing influence on me. I mean, he's a he's an incredible man, really. I mean, he's. I'll give you an example of him just to give you a taste for him. He's eight year old, right? Asthmatic has been since he was like 12 years old, right? So this time of the pandemic, he should be being careful. So what he did to check the queues of the local supermarket is he flew his drone down to the town center to see what the queue was like. He's that kind of eight year old, right? So he, he's not, he's, I just find him amazing that he's, he's still that inventive and, and, and smart uh, and, and, and really very active and, and everything. And he's been a huge influence on my life. 
um, because he's quite a, you would call it a strong person. Um, And 90% of what he does, I totally remind respect. There's probably 10% I go, I don't want that bit of him because he's incredibly um, dogmatic and, and, and quite determined. Uh, which is which is a, which is you know great most of the time, but he can be quite stuck in his right. Um, but ninety percent, ninety five percent of what he does, I, th- I find amazing. He's, he's he's you know an inspiration really. How's that borne out in in your relationship with your own children? Oh, good question. Well, I sometimes see you, you know how obviously we're all a reflection of consciousness, but so you can't see yourself, but you can see your you and your children. And it's not really you and them because you we're all one. But I sometimes see bits of my dad in my daughter. So when I'm when she's sticking her heels in, digging her heels in, I'm like, you're so like your grandfather. Or actually, I say you're like your uncle, my brother. He was a bit the same, you know. Uh, again, an amazing person. Um, so I see it. I see, and what I'm really seeing, of course, is because I'm seeing me, right? Because whatever you see in someone else, because we are all one, is you because we are, there is no division, no, no separation. But I guess if I come down a level to make it more sad, less woo-woo, um, I see traits. I see traits, um, you know, of, of that. But, but I think if, if I take it at a more um, kind of conceptual level, the one thing that my, my dad was incredibly um, focused on was, was giving us um, my brother and I at the time, you know, the best possible experiences of life and um, education. And, and I want to replicate that. So I think that's, I don't just mean academic education, but we, tra- we were lucky enough to travel a lot. Um, he was always um, encouraging, stroke pushing, probably encouraging us to try new things and that kind of stuff. So it's how, how foundational it is um, to do. And, and, uh, I think I've, I've, I, I agree with that and I've adopted some of that in my own parenting. That's wonderful. It sounds like you had a very rich, rich experience in, in growing up. Yeah. And, and I think the, the, the connection, the currency of connection may not have been what everyone, how everyone connects. So, so we're not a family that walks around saying we love each other all the time, but I don't need them to say that. I don't need, I don't need to hear that or say it to them. It's so implicit. It's so there. It's so felt. Um, but you know, I went to boarding school at quite a young age. Um, so I, there was a, is a bit of stoicness of me, uh, which the principals undid actually, but, but when we're not a touchy feely, love you family, but, but, but to me was something just as great, or if not greater, because just saying stuff doesn't mean anything, does it? It's very close. Our, our connection. Um, also, you know, just in the brief, um, story you've told about the business, you know, if your dad's to accept your choice uh, in forging your own path in your life is a great act of love. Absolutely. And, and one that his ego or his, 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 part of his you know, egoic self would have struggled with, right? But absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, I, I respect him greatly for that because it would kind of been easy. Um, and, and it was done from love. I, mean, I think probably a little bit of him going, well, I can't force him. It won't work very well. But I think more, it was like, well, you know, he knows I'm my own person and I can make decisions. Um, so, and, 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 you know, at the moment there's a lovely blend because I am involved in the business, you know, two days a month or whatever you call it. It doesn't, days don't really matter, do they? But, but, so I feel like I'm supporting, um, but I'm also getting to do all the lovely things I do 
90 percent of my time so mm-hmm. um and actually they're merging actually so the more i bring my work into i mean sometimes we sit in the board meetings and talk about pension funds and financials and but you know particularly now it's about how, how the employees has their mind what's going on and so they're, they're not separate worlds completely <laughs> mm-hmm. that's been so good listening to you um one one sort of final area I wanted to touch on was um, you, know, you now in a new relationship, aren't you? And um, you, with somebody who's also got this understanding, as I, if I remember rightly from our conversation. But I just yeah. wanted to, you know, and and obviously your your ex wife has has a new partner, and your children are navigating kind of four parents, you know, in a sense now rather than two, even if you know the relationships maybe not formalized in that way yeah but has it been for you to integrate a new relationship uh into your life and with your children has that worked out well it's it's so interesting that because you know if you go back to divorce it's kind of like you, you one level of adaption is the first one which is separating from the thing you are and then as new ones form on both sides it's another level of adaption for people to go through you your kids your ex others your other other ex whatever they're called the, the, the old other other halves right the old you know what i mean <laughs> so everyone's got to do another level of adaption um and actually when you talk to a lot of people the first change can be quite relatively simple and then that's when the, the trouble starts or something so um because you're bringing in another, another person and the children have to adapt to that you have to adapt to that um and it's a sort of domino effect because there's a whole kind of thing happening everywhere. So I think that requires some clarity, connection and compassion to navigate. Um, I mean, the, 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 the person that my ex is now with is actually an old friend of mine. So I kind of know him and, um, you know, if she's got to be with someone, I'd rather it be someone decent like him. So, uh, that's my, my thinking at the time going or at least at least I know who it is and and, and we had a good chat about it um, you know which is I'm sure a bit difficult for him to start with but you know I wanted to because he's going to be in a very important person in my kids life um, so it's important that we feel okay with each other right and he's respectful so when I go round there to pick the kids up and whatever he's not there you know, sort of, well, he sometimes he doesn't like run away, but he's, you know, he's like, well, daddy's here kind of thing. And so, so there's a respect in that. Um, and the kids, it was a little bit confusing. I remember my youngest got a bit confused as, as to, well, and they've also got a, um, a half brother now. So they're like, well, why can't Joseph come on when, when, when we come to stay with you? I go, well, because he's not, you know, it doesn't quite work like that. Oh, but it'd be fun to have him come. You know, I'm like, well, not really. He doesn't quite. So I have to explain that, why their little half-brother's not coming <laughs> to stay for the weekend or during the week when he comes. Um, but I think if you, if you have an openness to spot when your ego is going to get in the way, right, and, and if that's out of the way, you just see what's best for the kids. Usually that's where it starts. Um, and try not to let the other thinking get in the way. You, you can navigate it, but it, it has its challenges. Uh, or it can appear to have its challenges, I would say. And I'm not just speaking about my own situation here, but just from other people I know. Um, because there's a lot of parties to get involved. There's a lot of stakeholders then. Um, 
So I just think that the, the key thing I would, that I've spotted is just, you've just got to keep focus on what's important, which is the kids. Yeah. Um, yeah and then watch, watch when your own thinking revs up. Beautifully you said. <laughs> yes, of course, of course, because it's it's complicated, doesn't it? There's, as you say, there's multiple stakeholders involved, and uh, you know, even with that sort of understanding that you have and an openness to making it work, then there's still a need to try and find a way through, which depends on three other yeah. adults and <laughs> your children as well. Yeah, and and trying to keep an openness in the communication. I mean, I think it's so important to keep an open, I mean, to co-parent, you need great communication, right? Um, so otherwise the kids will, could play you off against each other or they could, you know, go, well, I mean, let's me do this. That lets me do this. So, so you need really great communication, which means you need a level of understanding, you know, about how communication works, right? Or how connection works. Um, Cause otherwise it, it gets very muted, you know, um, and you don't pick up on the nuance of, and cause the kids will, right? So it is, I think that's important if you can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's brilliant. Uh, kind of way to, to finish off our discussion for today. Thanks so much for taking the time to uh, share with me and, and share so much insight and wisdom as well as uh, you know, so much of your story. Yes. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Matt. I, I feel like I rambled at you. I hope it's been, there's been something in there useful, but I, I was totally in flow. So you're obviously asking fantastic questions. So um, <laughs> that, thank you. You know, I, I think what you're doing is brilliant. So I'm happy to contribute whenever I can. Yeah, thank you so much. And um, where can we find out more about you if, if, if we want to? Yeah, so um, I've got a few different websites and things. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Piers Thurston. Uh, Business-wise, um, couple of websites there qualityofmind.biz b-i-z uh, makingchangework.co.uk also have uh, peersthurston.com uh, and another business actually called separation simplified which helps um couples who are going through the very thing we've been talking about um and how to have better relationships with uh to co-parent and that kind of thing so i i you know have a few brands all based on the same thing all based on this understanding just different ways it turns up Brilliant. Well, I'll put all those links in the in the show notes, and uh, yeah, there, uh, there's something for everybody in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been great. Uh, great speaking to you. Thanks again, Piers. Cheers. Okay. Bye.